Good evening. Please turn your Bibles to Matthew chapter 13. Our study tonight is going to be from Matthew 13 verses 1 through 23. In fact, we're going to hopefully spend the next couple of weeks in Matthew 13, studying the parables of the kingdom there. Matthew chapter 13. I want to start with a question again tonight. Why do different people have different reactions to the hearing of the word? In Matthew chapter 13, Jesus begins speaking in parables that describe the kingdom he is establishing. See, in Matthew chapter 5 through 7 in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus has already described the character kingdom citizens must have. But here in Matthew 13, he tells parables to the crowds to describe the nature of his kingdom. What's the kingdom of heaven like? And in particular, here in verses 1 through 23, Jesus describes the beginnings of his kingdom by describing the different reactions people have to the hearing of the word. So consider for a moment, why do different people have different reactions to the word of God? Why do we have different reactions? Why do some hear the word and they explode with growth, knowledge, service, greater dedication, greater evangelism, greater leadership? But then others hear the word and it seems like very little is happening in their life. In their hearts. Why is there that difference there? Great crowds have now come to Jesus to hear him speak. How will they respond? Well, let's notice how Jesus answered these, answers these questions. First in the parable of the sower. So let's read the parable here in verses 1 through 9. And then we'll move on from there. That same day, Jesus went out of the house and sat beside the sea. And great crowds gathered about him so that he got into a boat and sat down. And the whole crowd stood on the beach. And he told them many things in parables, saying, A sower went out to sow, and as he sowed, some seeds fell along the path, and the birds came and devoured them. Other seeds fell on rocky ground, where they did not have much soil, and immediately they sprang up, since they had no depth of soil. But when the sun rose, they were scorched, and since they had no root, they withered away. Other seeds fell among thorns. And the thorns grew up and choked them. Other seeds fell on good soil and produced grain, some a hundredfold, some sixty, some thirty. He who has ears, let him hear. So Jesus gives a parable and quickly let's note that there are four different soils. There are four different soils. Seed falls on a path and does not grow. Seed falls on rocky ground, tries to grow but is unable because of the rocky sediment underneath. And then seed lands on thorny ground. And though it grows, it is unfruitful because weeds and thorns choke the plant and make it unable to be fruitful. But the seed that lands on the good ground, it is fruitful. It bears fruit. And I want you to notice how Jesus concludes the parable there in verse 9. He says, he who has ears, let him hear. What does he mean by that? He means, I'm saying something important. Listen closely. Listen carefully. 
And so that's what we're going to do tonight. And the disciples are going to respond to Jesus giving this parable by coming to him and asking him a question that causes Jesus now to explain why he speaks in parables. And that will begin to show us why people have different reactions to the word. So notice with me in verse 10, their question. They say, the disciples come to him and say, why do you speak to them in parables? So the disciples notice here that Jesus doesn't normally speak to them as disciples in parables, does he? But he speaks to these crowds in parables and they want to know why. So let's notice Jesus' reaction or his answer to that in verses 11 through 17. And he answered them, To you it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of heaven, but to them it has not been given. For to the one who has, more will be given, and he will have an abundance. But from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. This is why I speak to them in parables. Because seeing they do not see, and hearing they do not hear, nor do they understand. Indeed, in their case, the prophecy of Isaiah is fulfilled that says, You will indeed hear, but never understand. You will indeed see, but never perceive. For this people's heart has grown dull, and with their ears they can barely hear, and their eyes have closed, they have closed, lest they should see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their heart and turn and I would heal them. But blessed are your eyes for they see and your ears for they hear. For truly I say to you, many prophets and righteous people long to hear, see what you see and did not see it and to hear what you hear and did not hear it. I want you to notice here in this passage how Jesus makes a clear distinction between the disciples and the crowds. What does he say there of the disciples in this passage? Especially in verse 16. Christ essentially says, when I speak, you, my disciples, you hear. But you don't just hear, you really see, you understand. When I speak, there is something really going on in your heart, disciples. And there's real life change that happens. But notice how there's a difference with the crowds. You can especially notice it there in verses 13 to 15, how Christ speaks of the crowds. He says, when I speak, they don't understand. He says there in verse 15, their hearts are dull. I speak, but there's not a lot going on in their hearts. There's not a lot of life change that is sparked. There's not real perception of spiritual truths. So Jesus describes the people as crowds who lack spiritual perception and application when he speaks. Uh, I want us to try to relate to this for a moment. Can you relate to this? This idea where you've had times in your life where the word's just not really sinking in. Whether you're reading the word or hearing the word or in a Bible class or listening to a sermon. And just not a lot's happening in your heart. You're not really that exciting. You might even be described as bored. And when you see the word, there's not real understanding. It's just kind of a bunch of words on a page and let me read this or hear this and get done with it. 
there's not excitement. There's not understanding. The word is like a sea of irrelevant page words on a page. Can you relate to that? That's what Jesus says these crowds are like. Plain truth doesn't sink into their hearts. So, he speaks in parables. Why does that help? Well, we can relate to that as well. When someone isn't understanding a concept or they don't see the relevance of a concept, what do we do? Well, we we tell them a story to illustrate the truth. This is what Jesus is doing. He is illustrating kingdom truths through parables in hopes that it will awaken dead, dull hearts that have no perception. He's hoping to help them. So now Jesus is going to continue from here and we're going to spend the rest of our time in verses 18 through 23. And he is going to give the interpretation of the parable, which describes why people have dull hearts, why we have times where we do not perceive, why hearts aren't truly understanding. And so with the parable, there were four different soils. And in the interpretation, we're going to see how the soils, the four different soils, represents the reactions of four different hearts to the word of God. And as we study these uh, these soils, I want you to be asking for yourself, what soil are you? Or as the title slide said, which dirt are you? Be thinking about this as we study these things. So notice with me first, the in verses 18 through 19, the path. Hear then the parable of the sower. When anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what has been sown in his heart. This is what was sown along the path. So Jesus says the, the path represents a hard heart. And I would say that it is the hardest of hearts. People hear the word, but there's zero spiritual perception or interest from the beginning. He says there in specific, Satan snatches the word away from their hearts so that there is no growth in it. But how could that happen? How does that happen so that there's no spiritual perception or understanding because Satan snatches it? How does Satan snatch the word from someone's heart? Consider for a moment what we studied last week in Ephesians with Brent in Ephesians chapter 4 and verses 18 through 19. How was sin talked about? How were the Gentiles talked about because of their sin? What had happened to their hearts? Hardness. Of heart. There were calluses in their minds and in their hearts that were developed because of sin. Sin is how Satan does his worst work. Sin hardens hearts. Sin creates calluses so that when the word comes in, into our life, there is little perception, there's little understanding, there's little interest. And what happens is really when we hear the word, the calluses prevent us from really feeling the power of Scripture in our hearts. We read the words, but our calluses, because of sin, prevent us from really feeling the power of the promises of God. Really feeling the power of life change. There's no spark. There's no concern. The Bible truly is, in this situation, really just words on a page. It's not interesting. And so that should remind us then, sin's not just sin. 
it seems a little simplistic to talk about it in this way. But sin is not just sin. It is not just evil because it separates us from God or because it makes us impure. Sin has a double whammy effect on us, doesn't it? It dulls our spiritual intellect and perception. It dulls our hearts. And so if you're wondering in your life right now why maybe you may be reading the Word or hearing sermons or in a Bible class and not a lot is happening in your heart or in your mind or there's not a lot of interest, this may be the reason why sin is on the throne. And when sin is on the throne, Satan is there and every spiritual truth that can help is being tossed out of the hearts. Uh, Hard hearts won't listen to the one thing that can soften their hearts. And if we are going to change, if we are going to have real spiritual perception and interest in the word of God, we've got to get the sin out of our life. It seems simplistic, but it is so, in so many ways, it is the answer. Sin must be dethroned. And so consider for yourself, is sin ruling your life and causing you to have little interest or spark when you hear the word? Notice then the second soil in verse verses 20 and 21, the rocky soil. As for what was sown on the rocky ground, this is the one who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy. Yet he has no root in himself, but endures for a while. And when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, immediately he falls away. So Christ says this rocky soil represents the heart that is plagued by trials and persecution. There's this initial excitement for the word of God, but that's zapped away when difficult times come. And it causes people to stumble or to fall away from the Lord or to simply not bear fruit. And so let's consider for ourselves, how can you and I become the rocky soil that is plagued by trials and persecution? Well, consider first, we can be the rocky soil, and in fact, we can be a lot of these soils and still be here and still be in the Word. But especially, we can be the rocky soil and still have excitement for the Word. Because notice there how it says there's excitement. There's an initial joy for the Word. And isn't that true? When we hear about the Word, when we hear about forgiveness, life, change, heaven, that's kind of exciting, isn't it? And so there's an initial excitement there. But that initial excitement turns to deep discouragement when we lose a job, have marital struggles or health issues. Or maybe we try to make application of the word of God and it's met with opposition. Friends and family might not like the way we're changing. And so we become discouraged. There is real opposition and work that has to be done to apply the word. And we're not willing to meet it with the hard work that it requires. Why is that the case? Notice verse 21, the explanation. Though there's an initial joy for the word, it says, yet he has no root in himself. Trials and tough times affect this soil so much because there is not a deep root in the word. You see this happen? Deep study of the word 
is avoided. Spending a great amount of time in the Word is a bore. It's not exciting. Soaking on the Word of God, really digging in and finding out in the difficult text what this means for my life, how I can change, it's not happening. There's not a deep root in the Word. Tough times come. The tough times expose how shallow that root is. And people either give up or stop bearing fruit. It's not working. The lack of depth depth then becomes evident. The problem is not that at that particular time there was a lack of depth. It's that all along, even though there was this surface level excitement and surface level of dedication that they themselves were fooled by and everybody was fooled by, all along it was actually just a shallow root. Do you see this danger in yourself? Do you find that deep studies and meditations of the word not something that's happening very often in your personal life? Not something that you're willing to do? Not willing to put into the put in the work to see something that we don't understand in the word and sit there no matter how long it long it takes to figure out what that means. Is that something that's avoided for you personally in your personal life? This soils example is kind of interesting because it teaches us that a regular dedication to surface level study of the word is pointless unless it drives deeper growth, deeper application, deeper change, deeper love for the word, for others, for God. If our surface level of excitement does not lead to real, visible growth, trials will show that we are just surface level Christians. We cannot stay here. And so the first thing we must understand that discouragement in difficult times is not a real excuse for a lack of growth. It is simply the sign of a heart that's not rooted in the Word, that does not love deep study, deep change, time in the Word. That's what it's the sign of. It's the mark of a heart that's ready to quit on Christ. And so we must overcome this shallow Christianity and press on towards greater understanding in the word, greater meditation, soaking on the word, finding opportunities to study the word more in our life. But then understanding, since we've recognized, if we recognize we're the rocky soil, that understanding once we soak on the word for some time, we're going to see some new stuff that's tough to apply, tough. To change our hearts and to change the way we think, to change the way we live. And we've got to meet it with real work. As I heard someone say recently, 
It takes a shovel and it takes some muscle to get into the word and then have some real life change in it. We want things to just happen instantly and easily. But deep change, kind of as we talked about a couple of weeks ago with really soaring spiritually, it doesn't happen unless we really apply ourselves. So don't be hindered by struggles. Don't be hindered by opposition. Fight to be a creature that draws all of your life from the word of God. Because the strongest Christians are where they are today because they've been able to overcome difficult times, haven't they? And so we can overcome this discouragement and lack of faith and apathy. Press on. Notice the thorny ground in verse 22. As for what was sown among thorns, this is the one who hears the word, but the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word, and it proves unfruitful. So with this third soil, uh, thorns and weeds completely surround the wheat and choke it so that it cannot produce any grain. And so in the same way, Jesus says this thorny ground represents hearts that are overcome by the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches and since they're overcome by them they choke out the word and they choke out real life change and choke out the ability to bear fruit and so let's consider for ourselves again how could we be this unfruitful thorny ground and as we consider that let's ask what's really happening when we hear the word if we're the thorny ground what's really happening in our hearts and lives First thing that's happening is we've got a life filled with lots of cares and commitments. We're involved first with many activities and in this school thing or this hobby and all of these social functions. The second thing that's happening in our lives is we have big financial goals. We're we're overcome by the deceitfulness of riches. We've got big financial goals and loves and dreams. We're working hard for this promotion, shopping for this house, thinking about getting that better car, getting these clothes, making our lives better. Our schedules and our hearts are filled with commitments and prosperity. Then the word of God lands on our hearts, lands on this thorny ground. And we're told about losing our life for Christ, not pursuing earthly treasures, being a servant towards those in need, going to more studies, filling our time with the word, filling our lives and our hearts with the word more. What's happening If we've got all those thorny things, all those cares and dreams and pursuits and loves and commitments, what's happening when we hear the word? Nothing. We don't have time for it. We've got too many things going on. But here's the interesting thing. In the next week, month, or year, we might keep all of those dreams, cares, and commitments, but still add even more to our life. So is it really that we don't have enough time? We make time for the things we love. The problem is that we don't have room in our hearts We've said it multiple times in classes and in sermons. 
And it's something I've got to remind myself of more often. We only have enough room in our hearts, enough passion in our hearts to go in so many directions. And if we're the thorny ground, our hearts are pulled in too many directions. We don't have room left in our hearts for spiritual things. Our hearts are overladen. And we admit this in our own words. I've seen it in my, I've heard it in my own words. I'll think later on, I can't believe I just admitted this problem. And I hear, we hear, we hear all of each other saying these things. What happens when, when we, when we aren't involved in spiritual things or we miss, uh, miss time in the word or we miss prayer or we miss classes? What, what, what do we say? Oh, I've just been so busy. I just don't have time for these things right now. And we all kind of nod and say, yeah. Isn't that the way it is? Yeah, just so busy. Jesus says that we're the thorny ground who's unfruitful if we say that. If that's the case. So this teaches us then of the extreme, extreme danger of filling up our lives. And a little note here, our kids' lives with so many commitments and cares and financial goals and dreams. Don't have so many dreams. Don't have so many commitments. What's happening is we're not just filling up our schedules, we're filling up our hearts with earthly loves and making it impossible for the Word of God to have a real place in our lives. Consider for a moment, can the excitement of reading the Word of God match up and compete with the excitement of pursuing our dreams and goals. Can it match up to that? It can't. Can the excitement of serving an elderly person or someone in need, can that? Can the excitement of that match up to all of our hobbies and activities that we love to engage in so much? Can it, can it match up to that excitement? It can't. So why are we forcing this juxtaposition? We're forcing it every day when we fill our lives with these things. And so if you recognize the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches, stealing your passion for God, let's first recognize no time and no room in our hearts or energy is not an excuse for a lack of fruitfulness or growth. Jesus says it's the sign of a heart willing to fill our lives up with so much so that the word of God is unfruitful. It's a sign of a heart that loves everything but the word of God. Has time for everything but the word of God. And then second, quickly note... That we can be here and we can be in the word of God and still be this ground. Because what does he say? It's not that the plant dies. It's just unfruitful. That's That's what our churches are just starting to become filled with. Especially in America as we focus so much on dreams. Hebrews has a very helpful... I believe a very helpful exhortation for us. Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 1. 
lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely and let us run with endurance the race that we are called to run. We are called to not just lay aside, notice, every sin, but we're called to lay aside the weights. The weights. So the weights are different than the sin, aren't they? Overcoming the thorny ground does not just mean overcoming sin. It means overcoming the weights, the things that are holding us down, the things that are choking out the word of God. We've got to ditch these weights. That's what the Hebrew writer tells us. We must ditch these weights. We must gut our schedules, get rid of our loves, get rid of our dreams. There's something you're not going to hear in the uh, in commercials today. Get rid of your dreams. Stop pursuing them. Get rid of them, says the word of God. We get scared as we talk about these things because we think we find happiness in these things, but we don't. If we get rid of these things for more time in the word and more application of the word, we are going to find so much more fulfillment and so much more life. It just takes trust and faith to take that initial step, step, doesn't it? And so stop trying to find happiness in these things. Stop filling up your life. Notice verse 23, how Christ concludes with telling us about the good soil. As for what was sown on good soil, this is the one who hears the word and understands it. He indeed bears fruit and yields in one case a hundredfold, in another sixty, and in another thirty. So Jesus says this good soil represents those who hear the word, and then as they understand the word, they bear fruit. And so here's the question for us tonight. Let's get right to work. Are you bearing fruit? If you've got an apple tree and you go out to look at it, it is very easy to tell if that is a pretty fruitful tree or not. Very easy. And so I don't, I actually don't want you to dig too deep here. Don't dig deep. Is it really easy to look at your life right now and see that you're bearing fruit and just see, yep. Yeah, I've been really growing. It's not a pride thing, but I have been working really hard. I'm really growing in knowledge and service and pursuing leadership and evangelism. I'm growing in deeper faith. I'm growing in more genuine and sacrificial love. I'm gaining greater self-control. I'm really bearing fruit. Is it obvious? If we're not bearing fruit... Then Jesus says, the overall message here, Jesus says that means the word of God is not rooted deeply in our hearts and we aren't seeing and truly perceiving spiritual truths and applying them. And so with the rest of our time tonight, I want for us to consider how can we become this good soil? No matter what soil we are, we can move towards this. And so consider overall the message of what Jesus has been saying here. He says many people hear the word, but what's the distinction with the disciples? What's the distinction with these with this good soil? They don't just hear the word, do they? They understand it. 
they don't just hear it, they understand it. There is true spiritual perception. Hearing and understanding the word in this parable and in this text is directly linked with bearing fruit. That's the direct link that Jesus makes here. And clearly, we're not just talking about an academic understanding and saying, okay, this is doctrinally what's happening in the scripture. This is the truth that's being said. No, there's a real spiritual perception in our hearts. When we read the word, if we understand it, we know what it's talking about. We see how it changes our life. We're encouraged. Our faith is built. That's what's happening. And so if understanding the word is the thing that leads to real fruit bearing, then I want to encourage each of us tonight to start having a greater dedication to when we come in contact with the word, making every experience with our contact with the word fruitful, meaningful, and gaining deeper understanding and life change each time we come in contact with the word. And so I want you to consider for yourself first, what are the things you've done in the past as you've studied the word or heard the word in sermons or in Bible studies? What are the things you've done in the past that have really driven life change and growth and understanding for you? It's going to be different for each of us. We've got different habits and different things that we do that can help us. And I want to encourage you, if you know those things... Be dedicated to putting those things in your life more. And so with the rest of our time, I want to share with you a few things that I'm trying to do and trying to uh, work on that help me when I'm studying the word and when I hear the word in sermons or in classes. And maybe these things can help you. The first thing I'm trying to do more is to be dedicated to note-taking, to writing out biblical truths. It might not be the case for you, but honestly, I find that if I'm not taking notes in personal study, in a Bible study, or before a Bible study, or during a sermon, it's almost pointless for me. Because I, me, I forget it later on. And it really ends up meaning very little to me. I kind of read the words and it really just becomes a sea of words. But when I'm taking notes on in my personal study or in a sermon or before and during a Bible study, stuff's happening. At least for me, that's when I'm really connecting to the word. That's when there's really something going on in my heart because I'm writing out in my own words what I think about the text. What I think about the sermon, how it's changing my life. It's not that my notes are really extensive. I don't have to write out every single thing that I see, that every single thing that's in a text. I don't have to write down every single thing that I see on a PowerPoint or in a Bible study. That's not the point. The point is that we're taking the things that really make an impact on us and writing them out. There's a real interaction with the heart that is allowed to happen because we're writing them in our own words. And you might be discouraged and say, as I was discouraged earlier on in my life, well, I don't ever really keep the notes. I kind of end up just throwing them away or feeling guilty and putting them on a shelf somewhere. I never really go back to them. It's okay. Not everybody always goes back to their notes and constantly reads them. I don't do that super often. 
Rather, uh, what we're trying to foster is while we're studying the word, make it interact with our hearts. And I can guarantee you, I'm about to go to uh, lectures at a college this next week and I'm about to hear a bunch of stuff. I haven't looked at most of those notes from last year very much in the past year. I could rattle off about 75% of what those lectures were about, though, because I took notes and it was so helpful for me. So maybe that's helpful for you. The second thing I want to encourage us to do, something that's helpful for me, is to talk out the truths. Personal Bible studies, sermons, and Bible classes really become effective in my heart whenever I talk about them with Ashley later on or with Brent later on or with some of you later on after class or after a sermon or after I've read something in the Bible. We'll we'll text each other or say things with our friends like, man, did you see this? This was really great. And once I start conversing about these things... It really helps, again, drive these words deeper into our hearts, doesn't it? Because we recognize this truth in school, don't we? We think we know a lot about a subject, and then we take a speech class, and they say, hey, give a speech on it. And what do we do? Why are we so scared? Why are we almost crying the night before the speech? Because we don't really know that much about it. We've got a bunch of facts in our mind, but we've not assembled them into something helpful. When we talk... We're interacting. We're asking questions. We're assembling facts in Scripture into helpful and meaningful things. And so I want to encourage you, speak out the truths that you learn in your personal study with someone in your life. Talk about it. Don't avoid conversations about these things. Uh, Be involved in the Bible class if you feel comfortable. Talk with me and Brent after sermons. Uh, That's why we stand back there because we love to talk to you about these things so that we can be helped and so that you can be helped. And the third thing I want to encourage you to do is to have an application game plan. Never leave a study of the scripture whether personal, a group study, or a sermon, without a bottom line conclusion about what this does for your life, how this changes how you live. It's only very frustrating to us to spend a lot of time. You've been in classes before. You've been in these studies before. We've all experienced it where we've spent a lot of time in the word and there seems like there's no underlying. This is the way my life is changed. We've all been in those places. Isn't that so frustrating? Don't leave studies without asking, what is God trying to tell me here? How is this passage, how does this passage change my life? Why does God say it in this way? What does this mean for me in my daily life? Soak in the word, spend time, write it down, talk about it, have a game plan. We can only have true spiritual perception and application that drives real life change if we're constantly asking how we can apply the text and correct our sins and mistakes and shortcomings. And so what's been your reaction to the word of God lately? Is it still sparking life change as you personally strive to apply it? Is fruit being born in your life? Our different reactions to the word of God are based on whether or not we're really spiritually perceiving the truths we hear and read. And so we've talked about three barriers to understanding sin that hardens our hearts and dulls spiritual perception by the path. The rocky ground, which talked about the trials that showed that there was not a deep root in our hearts. 
And then finally, the thorny ground that is overcome by cares and concerns and loves and dreams and uh, and distracts us with all the fun things and busy things in this world, distracts us from a love for God and a love for the Word. And so I want to encourage you as we talk about these barriers... What soil are you? What barriers are holding you back? Let's spend some time tonight and this week and periodically throughout our lives in spiritual uh, introspection, thinking about what right now is holding me back from deeper application, deeper understanding in the word. And then just be encouraged by this fact Uh, What happens when you've got soft soil and you've cleared out all the thorns, you've cleared out all the rocks, you've you've softened it up from the hard layer up top? What happens when you drop a seed in there and water it? It always grows. It has to grow. And so if we will clear out these barriers to understanding and application in our lives... We will be fruitful. There is no question about it. Isaiah 55 says God's word does accomplish what he sent it for. So be dedicated to clearing out the barriers you see in your life to true spiritual understanding and application. If there's any way we can help you in this, then talk to us about it. Let's continue the conversation about overcoming barriers in our lives How can we help you? If there's any way we can help you in your walk with God, please let us know and come forward to the front while we stand and while we